welcome back to the film experience. Now, we're just doing a non-Smackdown this week. Surprise, a little extra old-school film experience podcast nugget for you. And I'm here with my old pal and podcast co-host, Murtada. Hello, everyone. It's so great to be back on the Film Experience Podcast. It's been a while. I think our last conversation was at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, it's it's almost like you've been quarantined from the podcast. <laughs> Not intentionally. I did it by yes. a couple smackdowns, but... Yes. Um, it, it was like four and a half months ago or something like that, right? We've been quarantined or five months. I don't know. But it feels like 17 years. Oh, it's been the worst. The worst. <laughs> So we can talk about how that's affected our film viewing. Normally when we do uh, podcasts, of course, we review one or two new movies and then, you know, just talk in general. But we were just discussing we haven't seen very many new movies. Well, yeah, the reason is that there are not that many new movies coming out. And that's number one. And number two, it's just like... You know, you don't go to the movies, so you have to, like, look for them. The only thing I've seen that's new is Hamilton and Palm Springs. And that because Hamilton is such a phenomenon. Yeah. And Palm Springs because it was on Hulu and everybody kept saying, oh, this one's cute. So I watched it. Have you seen, had you seen Hamilton on stage? No. So I was the Hamilton version. This was my first time. You and many millions of others. Yeah. Via Disney Plus. So does that mean you subscribe to Disney Plus just for that? Yes, and I think today is the last day of my one-month subscription. Because, you know, I did that thing where you subscribe and you immediately cancel, but it says, oh, it will be up until you, oh, okay. for the month. So I, the thing with Disney Plus, I'm not a Disney person. I was going to say, it seems weird that you're subscribing to <laughs> Disney Plus. <laughs> so I don't like superhero movies. So I did Disney Plus, we watched Hamilton, and then I looked around and like, is there anything for me to watch? And literally the only thing that I thought, oh, maybe I'll watch it, was The Sound of Music. Mm -hmm. And even that I didn't watch. So basically I paid the $7 to watch Hamilton maybe three or three times, which I think is worth it. That's better than a few dollars for a Broadway ticket. Yeah, totally. Um, so uh, I, did, I do occasionally watch something on uh, Disney+, Plus, but yeah, I'm not sure it's worth the subscription money, um, but... I, I watched Pollyanna this uh, spring because I was going to write about it and never got around to writing about it. Um, but I grew up really obsessed with uh, Parent Trap on TV, mm -hmm. like the old one before Lindsay Lohan. Uh, when I was a little kid, um, they would show it on TV a lot. So I was very, very into Haley Mills. And so I thought, oh, I'll watch Pollyanna, which was definitely worth writing about. And sadly, I did not write about it. <laughs> So I haven't watched new stuff, though, mainly because, like, I have some sort of mental block because I I realize I use the crutch of, like, the Oscar race and awards race and, like, my own ballots. I use it as not like a crutch, but it's, like, my way in. It's how I sort of organize my thoughts. And it's not because I'm trying to, like, predict the Oscars so much as it gives me, like, a way to organize my passion to see movies and so like given that everything's in disarray i don't even know like where to begin or i don't know what counts as a movie anymore um so i've just had this mental block about it plus i can't really afford all the vod's the rentals yeah i hear you i have not like bought anything for 20 dollars. If, if it's on hulu which i have i'll watch it or if it's on netflix i'll watch it but otherwise um, no, but I've watched so um, for awards. I think the Netflix the Netflix movie that has been released that might be up for awards is The Five Bloods, and that I watched it. Um, not my favorite Spike Lee. I'll just say that it's a bit of a mess. Um, it's more like Chirac, um, okay. and unlike Black Klansman. If you I just want to do like the very mon, you know elementary thing of like let me just compare it with his last two movies you know without digging deep into Spike Lee's yeah, yeah. filmography at all so um I was a little worried about it before it came out because the last time he did a war movie like nobody liked it was that Miracle of St. Hannah's 
Um, but this one people just loved. But then on the other hand, people seem to have loved every new movie that's come out on streaming. I think possibly mm-hmm. the desperation for new yeah. movies is showing. Who knows? I haven't seen it. I haven't watched The Five Blood yet. Um, I mean, the buzz about it is about Delroy Lindo, and he is pretty fucking amazing. And uh-huh. it is that sort of performance where um, an actor sort of takes control of the movie and you just can't not watch him. And the movie also and the director are in love with him because he's doing so much, you know, work. And, you know, he gets a lot of scenes where he just dominates. And it's a pretty great performance. Like, it's the, it's the type of performance that you could see. Um, I mean, who knows? I don't even know if the Oscars are going to happen. I mean, are they going to do an Oscars? over Zoom for Netflix and Nomadland? I don't know. But anyway, it's the type of performance that, you know, awards uh, bodies will latch on to. He's somebody who's had a long career. He's very respected. He's worked with a lot of people. And finally, he gets this role that sort of showcases him in this movie with a great director who respects him and gives him the showcase. So it's that type of performance and that type of role. So I could see him, you know, definitely getting nominated and i don't know he like who knows what movies are going to get released so what's competition but he could definitely win with this performance and it's netflix so it's not like right yeah so it's already out so he's eligible yes uh and i uh i do need to i need to sort of organize my thoughts around like here is what has come out. Um, I need to get over this mental block I have and start watching 2020s movies. <laughs> but this summer I've been devoting myself to old movies um, for the Smackdowns. Um, and because I'm ahead of the game, because we've been doing them in advance, because people have been available, I am currently watching all of the Best Picture nominees from 1938. <laughs> and there's like 10 of them. So I'm not... Oh my God. I'm not very far in, but I thought, you know, in addition to the supporting actress match, I'll watch all of these. Um, Did anything stand out to you? Um, well, I loved Adventures of Robin Hood, but I had seen that before. Um, Jezebel, very problematic, but it's very entertaining because Betty Davis is so amazing in it. Um, Only Betty Davis can make a movie about wearing a scarlet dress. This amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, um, you can't take it with you, which I'm not a huge fan of, um, Frank Capra, the one that won Best Picture. Um, but the other ones I still, I've seen Grand Illusion before as well, but most of them that I had seen before, it was so long ago, so I'm trying to watch all ten of them, like in close succession, so I can really, like, think about. I thought, why not? Why not do my own award? So we'll see how many I actually get through. <laughs> Um, but the big uh, news that happened uh, recently was the Emmy nominations. Yeah. Now, you and I are both uh, intermittent TV watchers, I think we can safely say. Yes. Um, but I'm going to posit a theory that that's how the Emmy voters are, too. <laughs> they have their favorite shows. They're often probably a season behind, like most, like many people are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why if a show starts out really strong and they like it and gets weaker, it doesn't always show in the nominations. Like they're still voting for it everywhere. Yeah. Um, like for example, uh, Succession, which I understand had a great second season and I was like very excited about all of its nominations. It got a lot more this year, but yeah. I haven't actually watched the second season because <laughs> I just finished the first season. So, I think if I was a voter, of course, I would be more, I would be very conscientious in actually watching stuff I was voting on. But since mm-hmm. I'm a civilian and I, I don't get paid to watch TV, <laughs> I'm a season behind. So I'm rooting for it solely because of how good season one. And I think a lot of voters are that way. Yeah. I mean, I love Succession. Um, of all the drama nominees, that's probably, I'm just looking at them right now. And that's the one that, I love then the only other one I watched uh is The Crown even Killing Eve I watched the first season and I was that was even the first season which everybody says is the great one and the subsequent seasons have not been as good wasn't for me mm-hmm. so but Succession is definitely my favorite from those nominees and yes I've watched it all and the second season is pretty fantastic yeah and um the first season I think the quality wise 
both seasons are on equal terms. It's just the second season is flashier. There's like more stars. There's Holly Hunt. Here's Holly Hunter. Here's Sherry Jones. You know, there's like more people and there is more machinations. And I think as with TV shows, um, your bond with the characters deepens in a second season. And so you know their traits and you sort of like have your favorites and, Mm -hmm. and they play into that, especially with the performances of Matthew McFadden and Nicholas Braun as, as these two, um, Tom and Jerry basically. So they, they knew that people loved that in the first season. So they gave you so much more of those two characters bickering and interacting and it's fun to watch. And yeah. that's sort of what hooks you on TV shows, right? Like yeah. you make that bond and then you just want to watch more of the things you like about the characters. Yeah. No, it's true. But I also am like, I'm very off consensus when it comes to TV because I sometimes I will completely love a show. And then be done with it, just suddenly. Because I think it's because of how many hours, like, every season is, like, and I'm just more of a movie person. So, like, if a story, like, I'm trying to think of a recent example. I mean, Orange is the New Black might be a great example. Like, I love, I I was totally obsessed with it for three seasons. And then I didn't even bother watching the first episode of the fourth season. It's just, like, I've I've had enough of that world. I thought it was really enjoyable, but then I was just and that happens to me a lot with TV shows. Yeah, I hear you. Like, especially when somebody says to me, oh, you should watch this show. But you know what? It only gets good in the third season. I'm like, so you <laughs> want me to watch 17 hours of a TV show before it gets good? Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And that I'm, and sometimes something is just not for me and I can appreciate the craft. But, um, like, an example for that to me is Ozark. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's very, very into Ozark, but I watched, uh, the first few up, ep- or the first couple of episodes of the first season, and I was just like, this is not for me. Like, I love Laura Linney, and, like, I recognize it was very well made, but it was just so, um, brutal and nihilistic that it reminded me of trying to get through the first season of Breaking Bad, which I'm also very off consensus on. I'm like, the show is just not for me. Like, I, I, I glean, I get no pleasure out of watching it. So, like, why would I subject myself to, like, 40 hours of this over the long haul, you know? Yeah. I enjoyed Breaking Bad. I thought it was so well made. Yes, it's, it's like, not our interest as actrosexuals. Cause it's, yeah. It's mostly about the men, and, like, yeah. they don't like the female characters as much on yeah. that show, but it's so well made, and the acting is so top notch that I've watched all of it. But like you said, you know, you just grow tired of the world. So I never tried to watch Better Call Saul. I'm like, you're like what you were saying. Like, I'm over that world. I'm done. Thank you very much. Yeah. Had my fill. You were all great. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of that. And even, even sometimes when it's about actresses, like Killing Eve, I thought the first season was just so good. And I was like really into the second season. Um, but not as much. And now the third season comes out and I just haven't watched any of it. I mean, I don't know if I, I might, but it's just like, maybe I'm done with that world. A lot of series to me feel, feel like they would be excellent, like perfect as mini series, mm-hmm. a lot of TV series, but especially if it's like a crime drama. Yeah. I'm always like, this would come naturally to an end. Like people would be imprisoned <laughs> or they would die or, and it just seems like, the plots are really labyrinth in in order to keep the same characters in play all the time. This is also the issue I had with uh, Orange is the New Black. Like, as soon as they started extending people's prison sequences, <laughs> prison uh, sentences, I was like, no, you're just, you're not even trying to, like, be logical. You're just trying to keep your cast intact. Yeah. That was a show that I remember, like, the first season of it was just, so freaking amazing and I couldn't believe like how all these characters and these actresses and all these things that are happening in this world that we haven't seen before and you know it was one of those first sort of like binge things and I binged it and I was so in love with it and I don't know by the third season I'm like you know what our love affair is over orange (laughs) I'm moving on I have other fish to fry I'm sending you the divorce papers in the mail yeah However, something that 
I am surprised I'm still watching, I should mention, because it did get Emmy nominations again, is Stranger Things. And I think, I didn't even love it at first. And I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a huge fan. Like, I'm not sure I would nominate it for best of the year, but I've watched every episode. And I think it's because it's been so spaced out. And, like, whenever a season arrived, I was just, like, maybe in the mood for it or whatever. Um, so it's interesting to me that, 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 that there hasn't really been, other than the lack of acting nods, there hasn't been much attrition in terms of its ability to get the top nomination, you know? Because it came out a long time ago, too. Yeah, um, I have nothing to say about Stranger Things. I haven't watched even a, a minute of it, so <laughs> sorry to fans of that show if you're listening. <laughs> I have nothing to add. Oh, and since you've been uh, subscribing to Disney+, Plus, very unlike you, Murtada, have you watched The Mandalorian? No, definitely not. <laughs> like, that is so not my interest. Like, Star Wars, are like, no. Like, I have watched the right. When was the first Star Wars in this new series? The first one, when they came back. The Force Awakens. Yes, that's it. That's the one I saw. Yeah. I haven't watched any Solo or... I don't even know how many Star Wars movies are out there. Like, not my world, not for me. I'm happy to watch memes of Joan Boyega and Oscar Isaac from Star Wars or not from Star Wars, but <laughs> I'm not going to sit to watch that. <laughs> So I, I thought, oh, I'll watch The Mandalorian, even though I thought it was a weird character to have a, a miniseries about, or a series about, because, like, in the, it's about Boba Fett, right? I don't even know. No idea. So anyway, I, uh, I started um, to watch it, but I have a really, like, huge TV in my living room, but you know how everything's, like, 4K and, like, super digital or whatever, and I hate the way movies and TV looks on new big televisions because they always look like soap operas. Like, there's something about them that's so flat. So you have to figure out ways to turn off motion smoothing or whatever for movies so that they look like movies. Um, You know, because everything's designed for sports games on new televisions. So it's just maddening. Like, everything looks like shit to me because it's just so crystal clear. And movies where things should be out of focus and they're not out of focus. Like, I just... I hate it. So I started watching The Mandalorian just out of curiosity, and it looked so cheap, and it's like a Star Wars thing. And I understand people think it looks great or whatever, and I'm like, I don't know what TV, what what your TV is like if you don't have 4K or if you're just used to the soap opera effect, but I couldn't watch it. I tried. It just looked really, really bad to me. But the Emmys loved The Mandalorian. and They did, yeah. Do you think um, it's sort of they replaced Game of Thrones with The Mandalorian because they're both genre, they're both sort of for fanboys? Like, I think the story is that, you know, Succession is the new dominant. It's also HBO. This is the new show that's going to win everything um, after Game of Thrones. But genre-wise, it's The Mandalorian, no? Yeah, and also because people would not shut up about it. So it's like that sort of pop culture smash type of thing. Although, would they really not shut up about it, or would they really just not shut up about Baby Yoda? (laughs) Because, like, Game of Thrones, you would hear people talk about literally everything to do with that show. Um, It was just endless conversation, whereas, like, the only thing I ever hear about The Mandalorian is Baby Yoda. So I saw all the Baby Yoda memes and enjoyed them, but I never linked it to The Mandalorian. I just thought people were talking about Baby Yoda, and I'm like, okay, (laughs) Baby Yoda's cute. Baby Yoda is very cute, yeah. But still, photos are enough for me. So, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a fan of The Mandalorian, our apologies, but tell us in the comments what you love about it and why do you think the Emmys nominated it for so many um, awards this year? Yes, and also we probably should have asked for reader questions since we're just having a free-form conversation. Uh, Maybe we'll do that next time we do a little uh, podcast. Um, so comedy, do you watch any of the comedy series? Well, I love Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, and I don't even know what season this is, but I think I've watched the last season. I don't know if that's the one up for it or not. 
It's yeah, it's the most recent. It's like the I think it's the final season, but who knows with that show because it leaves for years and then comes back again. Yeah, I mean it's it's very funny, and I have to say, sort of like as you're in quarantine and with all the things you have to deal with with masks, and when you go out, you're like in that. We all become kind of like Larry David. Oh, he's wearing a mask. She's wearing a mask. Their mask is on there. You know, whatever. You kind of feel like a Larry David a little bit. You try it's to sort of like, like the awkwardness. Yeah. You mean that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a good quarantine watch to see somebody just mad at the world. <laughs> um, even so that I enjoyed. Um, the one I really loved that it, it, it got nominated this year, um, is Insecure. Um, I've always, uh-huh. that's like my show. I've watched it since the beginning and not only did it get the outstanding comedy, but Issa Rae was nominated for lead actress and Yvonne Orji. I think it was her first nomination in supporting actress in a comedy. And this season was about that relationship between Issa and Molly as friends. And they had like, it treated them as a central couple in this last season. You know, they had a breakup and they had to sort of fix their friendship and work at it. And they were both like top notch. They were funny. They were heartbreaking. It's, it's, you love to see it literally when a show you like and characters you like, like just dig deeper and decide, you know what, we're going to explore this relationship. This is what we're doing this season. Um, and so to see that, you know, acknowledged and both actresses acknowledged was really good. It was a good. I was surprised that that made it for the top category. I thought it was going to be Rami there. Mm-hmm. Um, which I know you like as well. Yes. I love Rami. It's great. Yeah. And, um, I love The Good Place, but I'm behind, so I haven't watched the final season yet, which is um, what is nominated here. And um, I watched Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, but again, I'm a season behind. <laughs> and uh, But the thing I've seen every episode of is What We Do in the Shadows, which I mm-hmm. just absolutely love. And this is the, the second um, season that's nominated. Um, and it's just it's so, so funny. Um, and it, like, Usually when something's adapted from a, a movie, you know, I'm suspect a little bit. Like, you know, haven't we already done this, you know? And that movie, have you seen that movie, the Taki Waititi movie? Um, I have not, no. Well, the movie was really funny. and But when they announced that they were doing a series, I was just like, you've already explored this. Like, that's about as far as it can go. But I ha- must confess I was wrong because... The show has been continually surprising, and they managed to keep keep uh, exploring the world enough and in new directions enough that it doesn't feel like a retread of the movie to me. Like it, the movie just feels like sort of a launching pad, um, which is the ideal way to do like a adaptation of a movie. Yeah. So yeah, I highly recommend that to people. Um, yeah, I do, do want to say you mentioned Rami, and I do want to say something about Rami. I was happy that Rami. Yusuf got nominated for actor, but Rami is a show that is best when it's not about Rami, when it's about the other people in his life. And it does this on the second season. It had these showcase episodes. So one was about his sister, one about was his mom, Uh one was about his uncle who is, you know, outwardly homophobic and racist. and, And then it turns out that he is actually gay. And that was like those three episodes were the standout episodes for me. Like, I think they dug deeper into those characters and presented facets of them. And Hiyam Abbas, who plays his mother, her episode, she had a standout episode in the first season, and then she had another one in the second season. And both those episodes are, like, the best two episodes of Rami. And she's so great at playing this woman who... And this in this second season, basically her daughter calls her Trump because she's always, like, criticizing people and she's not empathetic and and it was so funny for somebody to sort of reckon with that somebody who thinks they they're not that at all and they love their children and and to see somebody actually come to the realization that they are kind of terrible to the people in their lives and she played that so beautifully and that was like such a great facet to sort of explore with that character um, and she's such a great actor. She's in Succession. She's Brian Cox's wife. Oh, yeah. in Succession. She's, she's great in everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's her part is tiny in Succession, but in Rami, like I was really hoping that she would get a nomination in supporting actress. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but she didn't break through. But that would have been that's like my snob that I really miss. Um, yeah, so great. Yeah, I mean the the uh, supporting categories for for both drama and comedy. It's just like there's just so many possibilities every year that it's like it's inevitable that you know really great people are going to be left out. Yeah, especially because they allow Saturday Night Live to compete in the normal acting categories, which always feels odd to me. Like they're not playing a character like other people are playing characters. It just doesn't feel like the right category for me. Yeah. I mean, maybe they should do like an acting in a variety show because it is a different acting muscle. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the one I'm rooting for in supporting uh, comedy is Darcy Carden is, uh, in the good place, I just love her so much. So funny. I, I do too. Um, I haven't watched all of the Good Place, and that's the thing with TV that's on Netflix. If this, sh- like, for instance, this is the thing I struggle with. With so the Good Place is on Netflix. Um, I don't even know what his original channel is, but right. it's on Netflix, and I just sort of would put it on, and I don't know what season it is or whatever it is. You just, you know, you have like. A half an hour, an hour, and you just want to watch something. Yeah, and so you, The Good Place is so good for that because you can just pick it up from whenever and it's a half hour of very funny comedy. And you yeah. just watch an episode and then maybe, I don't know, three months later you watch another two episodes. So I don't know <laughs> what season I have watched of The Good Place or where it is, but I do enjoy Darcy Carden. She is the standout. She's so funny. Well, see, that's that's my theory as I was saying at the beginning of this conversation and that's my theory is like I think a lot of Emmy voters are probably like normal people in that they're not thinking when they vote of what season they're voting on they're just like oh I love that show you know yeah um so I mean it's I think that's especially true this year with Shit's Creek which is on its final season but people only really discovered it once you know I mean it had a fan base of course um but once Netflix picked up the back series, the back seasons, then I'm sort of, everybody was obsessed with it. But I, I think a lot of voters are probably behind on that show too. Yeah. And they're watching maybe like me, they don't know what season it is. They're yeah. just enjoying the jokes. Yeah. <laughs> and they heard it's ending this year and they're going to be surprised how many more episodes they have left to watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. So in that way, like there were a lot of good shows nominated for things. I don't, I don't think there's that much, to complain about, uh, although I, I just really don't like limited series is probably is what I'm most um, invested in because I've watched almost everything that's nominated. Me too, Nathaniel. Look at us. Yeah, and I think it's because <laughs> it's because I know it's going to end. So like, if I hear a mini series yeah. really good, I'll totally watch it. You know, because it's not it's. It's just basically like watching a long movie to me. Like, I don't think of it. It's like, oh, I have to invest 40 hours of my life in this, you know? Okay. Um, this podcast is not sponsored by Hulu. Right. But I have to say, <laughs> Hulu gave me all I want this quarantine. Paul Mescal in Normal People and Kate Blanchett in Mrs. America. I was like, hello, Hulu. Give me <laughs> Not sponsored, but if they want to send us gift baskets, we will accept them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but they also gave us little fires everywhere, which I honestly thought was bad. Um, maybe I, since I got a nomination, I'm clearly in the, uh, in not in the mainstream camp there, but I honestly thought the show was kind of bad. Um, very, very heavy handed. Yeah. Um, I reviewed it for, for the site, and I think I watched the first four episodes to write that review. And yeah, because that's what they were, they, they previewed that much, right? Yeah, that's what they released at the beginning, yeah. yeah. And I haven't watched a minute after that. <laughs> yeah, it's, over it. yeah, it's so heavy-handed. And I think, like, even though I enjoy all those actors, like, well, not all of them, but I really enjoy Carrie and, um, and Reese in lots of things, both of them. I just thought they were both, like, not as good as they usually are. So I didn't... Yeah. I wasn't happy about those nominations for Little Fires Everywhere. Yeah, I thought Reese was Reese was repeating herself. Like she needs to move on yeah. from this tightly wound mother thing that yeah. she she played so brilliantly in Big Little Lies. But I'm like, you can't just keep repeating it. Yeah. Um, 
So um, yeah. that's why I didn't like her at all. And then so the Academy also was like, oh, that's. <laughs> because, well, maybe because they had two choices, like because they could have also done that for Big Little Lies. Yeah, but th- she was not in the same category. She was in the, I think, in the same category for the morning show and Big Little Lies. But oh, a right. outstanding limited actress, she had no comp- she had no self competition. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so yeah, Miss Miss America is great. Um, Unbelievable is great. Unorthodox is great. Watchmen is great. So it's like. Other than Little Fires Everywhere, I was, like, thrilled with this category. Yes. I have just started Unorthodox, and yes, I agree. I I started it based on your enthusiasm for it, because I think I saw you tweeting about it, and I'm like, oh, you know what? This kind of is my interest, mm-hmm. so I should check it out. And I we have watched, I think, two or three episodes so far, and it is, it's, it's very good. And it's a very short miniseries, too. Like, you're, yeah. you're getting close to the end. <laughs> yes, I know it's only four episodes, so it's it's very good. Um, I like it a lot, but so far it's like I love uh, the actress Shira Hotz who was nominated and she plays um, the lead character. But every time they cut to her husband and his friend who are, I guess, trying to find her, I'm just like, can we just go back to her? <laughs> like, we don't need the men. But anyway. Yeah. Well, nothing quite measures up to her brilliance, but I do think the guy playing her husband, I apologize, but I don't remember his name. I do think he's very good, even though I agree those parts of the show are not as interesting. But yeah. I think for for his character, I actually think he was very good as an actor in that yeah. show. And but you know what? What I've show? There, you know, like the the sort of conservative religious upbringing. That's my background, not Judaism, but Mormonism. It's like I grew up in that very sort of rigid social structures and rigid beliefs and. Um, so I just really, like, it really resonated with me what all those characters were going through. Yes. Um, but you know what show? I was very grateful for the man that, and not just the woman in a relationship, is normal people. And I just love, it, it, this is the first sort of, like, relationship story where you are, where I certainly was, and I think everyone, was more moved by the man and not the woman. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, he is, his emotions are just so available to him. What an actor, Paul Mescal. And oh, he's just, so like, fine, I can't believe this is his first. Yeah, it's so, it's just such a great performance. And like, it's one of those things where everything, the emotions are so ready and he's so able to sort of like just put them out there. Um, as anybody who watched that show, um, would attest. It's such, such yeah. a brilliant performance. And not to take anything from Daisy Edgar Jones, who plays um, uh, the the other lead in the in the show. She's great, too. Um, and, it, and the show wouldn't work if one of them wasn't as good as the right. other. But yeah. it's just I think he has just he's just just she's perfect. And he is um, a little bit more than perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think also she probably suffers in terms of like a wordage with that her character it's almost like the inverse of what it usually is in romantic dramas because her character is like a little impenetrable which is more of what the man usually is in those romantic dramas like because she's she has a little bit more difficulty as a character like the actress doesn't but as a character accessing her feelings um i think that the lead actor in a limited limited series category like obviously my votes with paul mescal but but um, the I loved Hugh Jackman and Bad Education, like when some of the best work he's ever done, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and you saw like Jeremy Pope, I thought was not good in Hollywood, um, who is nominated. But then I didn't think almost anybody was good in Hollywood. So it's not really about him. But you you also saw Jeremy Pope on Broadway, right? I did see him on Broadway. I saw him in Choir Boy, and he was amazing in that. Um, yeah, such charisma and. I thought he was pretty charismatic in Hollywood. Like the thing with Hollywood is the writing is so bad. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, you have to be a Holland Taylor with like a 40 year career to manage to make that stuff look just believable. Yeah. <laughs> so the writing is so bad in it. And like, I think everybody suffered, but I thought he was just charismatic. And I actually wished as I was watching it, that he played Rock Hudson. I know, obviously, he doesn't look like Rock Hudson. Yeah. But, like, he had the charisma 
of a movie star that somebody that the camera loves where the actor who played Rock Hudson just had nothing. And I'm like, you needed Jeremy Pope to play that part and maybe, but he had it in, in the part he played and that's why I liked him. Yeah. I mean, like the reason I brought up the Broadway thing is like, I, I really hope that this means like he's going to have a big career on screen because like having seen him on stage a couple of times, like he was double Tony nominated. He's so good on stage. Oh my God. He's like star, you know? So I'm hoping that this, the attention from the Emmy will get him better material, like for a TV or film, because he's very, very talented. Yeah, he was very heartbreaking in Fireboy. I saw him in Ain't Too Proud as well. Like, he's, like, I mean, I hope someone gives him a musical, because he's so, his voice is beautiful. Well, he's playing Sammy Davis Jr. That was just announced last week. There is a biopic about Sammy Davis and Kim Novak's love affair. So if that actually gets made, I think that's a good part for him. Yeah, no, that'd be that'd be great. Um in the limited series, one more thing I want to mention is it's kind of shocking Allison Jan who was passed over. Yes. She the Emmy's Emmy. favorite. Yeah. <laughs> she has so many Emmys and she gets nominated for everything. I was just like, how? Because she was so great at bad education. Yeah. I think she was just limited but you know they did this thing, it was based on the number of submissions, the number of um, nominees. And I think that really hurt the limited series because while it added nominations in drama and comedy, it limited the nominations in miniseries. And that's why, you know, Unbelievable didn't get any acting nominations except Tony Collette. And that's why Alex yeah. and didn't get in. And like, there were a lot of misses there. And that's probably why. Although in supporting actors, there were six nominees. So. Yeah. I mean, but very, like, however that was going to go, it was always going to be heavy on Mrs. America. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was going to be stacked regardless. I mean, you could, you could have justified a whole category of Mrs. America and supporting actors. Absolutely. Like the, the three nominated for Sarah Paulson, Ari Grainer, and Rose Byrne, and there you have it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Not to take away from the other women nominated because they're very, very strong as well. Yeah. But yeah, you could have theoretically build the whole category and not be embarrassed about your vote. Yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think when you asked us about like the Mrs. America thing, I think someone, I think it was maybe Eric um, who said it was the three who the Emmy loves and have nominated and given them Emmys before yeah. Uzu, Margo and um, Tracy. And I was like, Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that's what made me think of uh, Alice and Janney, too. It's like they have their favorites, just like Oscar does, where yeah, you only have to be a certain level of, like, obviously these three are fantastic in Mrs. America. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, they deserved it. It's not. not yeah. So it's not that. But but, but my point is, my, my theory is, even if they had been much lesser than Rose Byrne and, and Ari Grainer, they might have still been the ones not. Yeah. I mean, this is the first year Sarah Paulson hasn't been nominated in maybe a decade, right? Like, she yeah. gets nominated every year. So even one of their favorites didn't manage to get in. And I'm sure it, it only occurred to me after the fact, too, that if Sarah Paulson had gotten in, she would be up against her girlfriend, Holland Taylor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Judging on her reaction on uh, social media, she is not, she's very glad that her nomination went to Holland. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and the thing is, I think, you know, I can't explain Rose Byrne and why she wasn't nominated, um, but I can explain Sarah Paulson. Like, if you have people playing Shirley Chisholm and Betty Friedan yeah. and somebody playing a composite character called Alice, like, come on, you know who they're going to vote for. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, I mean, I know that award shows wouldn't, they already have too many categories of the Emmys, but sometimes I wish that there could also be, like, like a tertiary category. <laughs> like people have really small parts and never get the focus. Yeah. Cause like I loved, of course I always loved Melanie Linsky, but I thought she was really fun in Mrs. America. And, and, and I loved that her character was, con- I loved how much Kate Blanchett hated her character. I thought it was yeah. really funny. Um, the interplay between them was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I also thought, I mean, a horrible, horrible character, but I actually thought the actress playing that evil, evil woman who, uh, who, uh, Miss 
who Kate Blanchett uh, got in sync with, mm, yeah, was actually great. She was chilling. I can't remember yeah. the character's name. I know who you're talking about. And my thing with with the limited series, like because you know when you're talking about Melanie Linsky, maybe they should have like a guest actress in a limited series, because Melanie Linsky was in a few episodes, but she was always to the side. She was never the focus, and it wasn't like if you compare her with Sarah Paulson or with Rose Byrne, for instance. Like, it's not on the same level, so maybe there needs to be a guest actress in a limited series category. I mean, they have that for the other series categories. Yeah. So... Why not, right? They, They should... I mean, as long as you're just giving out Emmys like candy, right? <laughs> yeah. There's so many categories. Yeah. Have you watched all of Mrs. America? No, I'm not finished. I'm almost finished. I have like two episodes left. So I, you know, I have a podcast about Kate Blanchett, Sundays with Kate. Kate Blanchett yeah. is my favorite actor in the world. I do not love any other actor more than her in the history of cinema. So I am a little biased. <laughs> but... I thought her performance is just, from the fifth episode to the finale, her performance is just so amazing. And I think the last few minutes of the show, and I'm not going right. to um, spoil anything, but if you've watched the show, it's the phone call and it's aftermath. And it is sort of, there is a homage there to the Chantal Ackerman movie. Um and it's just like that performance in those final scenes, I think, is up there with the best she has ever done. And I know, you know, when you talk about somebody like Meryl or Kate or whatever, you know, they have been awarded so much and they're considered the best of their generation. And so uh, the sort of, um, they, they don't surprise you anymore. Like you just expect them to be great. I think right. I certainly expect Kate to be great. And so when somebody just surprises you and, and plays at notes they haven't played before, um, and I know, you know, that's where, that, that's what I got from that final episode. And that's why I think she deserved this Emmy nomination. And I'm happy she got her first. Do you think she's going to win or do you think Regina King will win? I don't know that, um, I don't know. I think everybody's saying um, that Regina will win. And maybe I haven't, you know, watched Watchmen, so I can't. Um, say, but you know, I can't say who's gonna win. But I'll be happy with either. I mean, who knows? Do the Emmy people think things of like, oh, we have this movie star who's never won an Emmy. Should we give her an Emmy? And we have somebody we love, but they have four Emmys. I don't know if they think that way. I I don't think they do. You know, people always say that about the Oscar people, and I really, really don't think the the voters are pundits or armchair pundits. I don't think they think about the trivia of who they've awarded. Yeah. And I think Watchmen... very recent. Like, oh, we just gave them one, you know, type of thing. Yeah. And Watchmen is such a zeitgeist show, so... And I have to say that um, not a lot of people are talking about Mrs. America, so it's it's a very good show and it deserved its nominations, and I think it did well, but maybe it just hasn't captured... um, people's imagination the same way as Watchmen. Yeah. I mean, I really liked Watchmen, but I do, um, it was a little um, frustrating at times because it was purposefully opaque. You know, mm-hmm. like the structure and the the storytelling was always about everything was mysterious and hard to read. And, you know, I get, I, I have a limited capacity for that on a long-term basis like i like mysteries but i don't like to be like to be purposely obfuscated like the material you know so i didn't i didn't love it as much as everyone else did but it's very strong and the acting was great is it about cops i don't want to watch that's like what stopped me from watching i'm like i don't want to watch a show about cops yeah uh regina's a cop she's like her character is one of the top policemen. Yeah. Um, so the uh, other show that that's really great is Unbelievable. Oh yes, yeah. But that was like I when it when I saw it was eligible, I was like, that was wasn't it last year? 
And I think that's why, like, Merritt Weaver and Caitlin Deaver didn't get nominated, because it was so long ago. Yeah, it was. I think it came out right at the beginning of the eligibility period. Like, right. Yeah, so last summer. So it's yeah. been a year. Yeah. So the fact that it got, you know, Tony in and the nomination for limited series is probably all we could have hoped for, even though everybody was hoping for both Caitlin and Merritt to be nominated too. Yeah. Um, so, that, I mean, my favorite was Tony Collette in that, in, in that show. I mean, she comes in later. Yeah. She doesn't appear until the third episode, I think, which is why she wasn't supporting, I guess. Um, even though once she appears, she's like equal, but you know how they do that. Those yeah, things. yeah. And in the end, that helped her. And I know we talk about this thing. I really think when you have two people from the same show in a category, they just never get nominated. Like it happened with Reese and Carrie, and it happened, and there Carrie got nominated. And I think with Unbelievable is just like they each like because if you love a show, yeah. You're gonna have your favorite. Yeah. Like you love the show is the first step, and then in within the show you have a favorite. So yeah. if you have like three or four of your in the same category, it's just somebody's gonna miss out. Yeah. Although that's not always true in the supporting categories, and and reason uh, Big Little Lies. I guess that was big enough, Big Little Lies, because that was a smash hit. Yeah. And both reason Nicole got nominated the first time. Yeah. But. <laughs> I mean, the second season, they, they got nothing except Meryl and Laura Dern. Yeah. I mean, you know, we all bitched about the second season, and it was completely unnecessary, and there was no story to tell, and they just <laughs> kept making things up. But it was still fun to just watch those actors. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, I'd rather watch that than, I don't know, Better Call Saul or whatever. But <laughs> also, like, they didn't need to get any nomination. So maybe that, it was fine. Yeah, yeah. I keep forgetting Meryl was nominated, and in 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 the in like a really tough category too, supporting actress in a drama series. Yeah. So who do you think is gonna win? So it's Meryl and Laura, Helena Bonham Carter as Princess Margaret, Julia Garner in Ozark, Tandy Newton Westworld, Fiona Shaw in Killing Eve, Sarah Snook in Succession. Wow, that is a stacked category. I mean, it could be anyone. I think Sandy. And Samira. Oh, Samira Wiley, I forgot, yeah. And Fiona, I think, probably aren't going to win because I think their shows aren't as popular as they were. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Julia could repeat because she's won before for Ozark. Yeah. I think Sarah Snook is a definite possibility for Secession. Because they love that show so much. And also Helena Bonham Carter got nothing but raves for The Crown. Yeah, I did not like that performance. Um, and then Laura or Meryl, you know, honestly, they could win. They could, yeah. So that's, uh, but the Emmy, when, when I think, when I think of the Emmys and maybe things have changed, um, when they have a lot of options, they tend to just go to who won last year. Yeah. So I think, you know, last year was Julia Garner and the year before was Tandy. So I think it's probably between those two. They're like, who did we vote before? Oh yeah, I still like them. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to guess that it's between, um, I'm going to go against that and say it's between Sarah Snook and Helena Bottom Carter. Yeah. Oh. So two new uh, newcomers to the category. Yeah. Um, but, you know, who knows? Like, the the thing that people, I've noticed people online are, are debating about is that the lead actor in a drama series almost always goes to, in recent years, has always gone to somebody in the first season or somebody in the last season. Mm. And the only person that that applies to this year is Steve Carell in The Morning Show, but people didn't even think he was going to get nominated, and they don't seem to like him that much in that show. Um, So that will be an interesting one to see if who wins, because they have to sort of break their pattern unless they want to give Steve Carell a makeup award. Yeah, but I think Jeremy Strong and Brian Cox from Succession, this is, it's not the first season, but it's the season it sort of broke out at the Emmys. Yeah. So I think they're probably the the, one of them have will, the best chances. Yeah. Them. So anyway, there's a lot to think about, but it's uh, a month and a half away still. It's a long time. Yeah, and it's uh, going to be 
all Zoom. <laughs> there's not, there's not going to be. Uh, oh, we should mention since we're talking about the Emmys that our uh, our friends uh, Miser and Moore, um, who uh, Tom Miser has guested on the blog, and uh, he's also been on the SmackDown. He is nominated for best song. Yeah, for his congratulations. Mrs. Mazel, so I want to give a huge congratulations to him because I love him, and uh, also it's just exciting to, you know. And you you had an interview with him right after the nominations were announced. Yeah, I called him up because I was just like, oh my god, you know. Yeah, 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 that's great. Um, So it's it's very exciting because, like, as you can imagine, like, for people below the line, like, some of the stars, you can tell, like, this is old hat to them. Like some of them release statements and other ones who I was like jumping around to people's Instagrams, for example. And like, I don't know, Regina King, for instance, she didn't put anything up about her. I mean, (laughs) but some of the people who, who are first timers, they're like, Oh, I'm just, you know, and they put up these like heartfelt, you know, just outpouring and like, and then other people don't even have social media, like Meryl Streep. She doesn't do social media. Mm-hmm. So, like, they might really suppress statement, but that's it. But for below-the-line people, like, if you go to their social media, it's always very exciting. And if you think about it, it's, like, that is, like, you don't get the attention stars get ever. So this is, like, a, a pinnacle for, like, mm-hmm. editors, costume designers, all those people. You know, that's, like, huge deal for them. Yeah. And the Emmys, the thing with the Emmys is that, there are so many nominees. Yeah. Yeah, so unless you celebrate your own nominations, people might not notice you are nominated. <laughs> um, not to be, no. And also it's because of the creative, it's because they separate the below-the-line people into another non-televised show. That's also why they don't get much attention. Yeah, well, because they can't do it all in one four-hour program, right? If you're going to split it, they should still televise it somewhere. Yeah, I mean, didn't they used to do it on E! like a few years ago? Or did I imagine that? Um, I think they used to do the the creative, they call them the Creative Arts Emmys. I thought they just I think did they used to be, those. They do televise them, but not on, like, you know, on whatever, somewhere else. Not in one, not that anybody watches TV live anymore, but... right. But I mean, they used to do that with the Tonys, for example. It's like the the first hour, which had the below the line awards, used to be broadcast on PBS or on like NY One, right? And then it would go to like the main broadcast. But it was the same night, so if you were on the right channel, you would see everything. Just put them on the streaming service, That's right? Cool. Like just because you know, in streaming services, they don't play by the same rules. They don't have to do like I don't know ratings or whatever right so just why can't a streaming service just get the rights and tell and put them there and then who wants to watch will watch and yeah don't have to prove they're successful oh we scored whatever rating it is yeah yeah i don't understand that either i would watch like trust if, if the hours wanted if the oscars wanted to be like five hours long i would watch on a streaming service yeah so since we're talking about Oscar ceremonies, um, usually in a normal year, the start of the season would be when the fall festivals announce their yeah. lineups and everybody gets excited about what's going. And right. we sort of try to then glimpse things of like, oh, this is a movie that's going to the festivals. There's right. definitely support behind it. And that's when you start sort of seeing who might be nominated. Um this year, I think, because the Oscar is delayed by two, by two months, and I'm totally actually behind that decision of delay because there are no movies in cinemas. Like, what are you going to award? So mm-hmm. cinemas have been closed since March. Um, but because of that, I think not as many movies that usually would go to Venice and TIFF and, yeah. and the fall festivals are going because it's eight months before the ceremony. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a strange year regardless. But, I mean, I was of the opinion that they shouldn't delay because you award the year that you have, even if that means strange nominations. But now that they've decided to include some of next year in the eligibility period, because it's going to go to the end of February for eligibility, 
I'm just, and we still don't have any sense of when movie theaters will reopen. I'm almost to the point where I was just like, just delay it a whole year and just get back on track and have two years for the Oscars. Yeah. The thing is, like, we all had hope that yeah. this thing will end. And I think yeah. the Academy was also sort of in that, like, like they had to make this decision. Like, there were no movies, so they had to do something. Right. So they delayed for two months. But, and I think maybe they will get to that realization, just like we all are right now, that basically nothing is happening in 2020. Maybe if we're lucky, 2021 will start going back to uh, life as we knew it before. Um, with movies opening and with the rest of stuff. And so maybe they will actually delay it. Because I was thinking the other day, you know, I think I texted you too, <laughs> that is the Academy really going to do a show in April that's probably some sort of a Zoom-like show uh, with social distancing for Netflix movie and whatever two movies, Neon <laughs> and Fox Searchlight, decide to release on Hulu. <laughs> And I know they get their whole um, annual budget from the show, from yeah. the licensing of the show. So there is, you know, they have to do it in in a way. But also, like, I just, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I you know, just they also tied in the, the opening of their museum to the date. So they keep pushing back the opening of the museum, which they have spent gazillions of dollars on. Mm-hmm. Um, so they need the show to promote the opening of the museum, too, because they have so much money tied up in that. But people aren't going to museums now, either. Yeah. Like, they're not going to indoor spaces. So it's just, like, I could totally see them deciding, If I mean, if this keeps up. Let's say if we don't even, by Christmas, let's say movie theaters aren't open still, I could see them saying, you know what, it's just going to be in 2022 in February, we have the next Oscar ceremony covering yeah. two years. Like, I could see that happening, um, and also the museum opening, because if if the if your whole push is, like, oh, this delay and the construction on the museum and all this stuff, this big push in, in April, but if things aren't fixed by April, all that money's going to be wasted. All that promotional time's going to be wasted. I mean, it's a very sad state of affairs. It is, yeah. Because but you I have to live for the movies, so it's sad. <laughs> Yeah. But I have to say, I really, like, the, I got a little bit of hope once I read, like, the TIFF lineup and the Venice lineup. Like, there were movies there was like, oh, you know, I'm excited for this one. And it also just gives you a little bit of hope, like, normalcy might be just around the corner. Like, these filmmakers decided to go to Toronto. They decided to go to Venice. Right. When so many others decided to wait till next year or to hold off right. for now or not make a decision. But some people actually are thinking they have hope. And that hope just gives me hope that, you know, we will get to see these movies somewhere, somehow, before the end of the year. Yeah. So what, from from the Toronto announcement, because you're more, you've been keeping up more than I have because I've been immersed in 1938 cinema, as previously <laughs> mentioned, for the smack, upcoming SmackDown. Uh, what are you most excited about from the announcement? I mean... Like the rest of the internet, um, I'm excited about the Francis Lee movie Ammonite with Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan. Yeah. And that, you know, was chosen for Cannes and it's going to Toronto. So, and they already announced that they're giving Kate Winslet the award that Joaquin Phoenix won at TIFF last year. Okay. Um, they're giving it to her over Zoom, already announced that. Uh, but that's, that indicates to me that this movie, which is from Neon, who has that Hulu um deal so we're gonna see it somewhere somehow that they have decided this yeah (laughs) yeah, this is a 2020 movie um if cinemas are open they'll do the usual sort of um limited release and whatever but if not i think they'll just go to hulu um so because they've put all the steps in so that's exciting that's like oh this is a good movie that we're gonna see yeah um francis lee's not happy about that though um, yes, I know. I, I saw his tweet. <laughs> he was very upset because he wants his movie to show in movie theaters. Um, yeah. And I'm assuming, at least from stills, I'm assuming the cinematography is going to be something. Maybe that's one of the reasons he's upset, but also just because filmmakers, you know, they make their movies for theaters. Yeah. Um, 
And the other movie that I'm really excited about, and this is a documentary, um, I was such a fan of uh, Fire at Sea from uh, Franco Rossi that I think it was nominated for Best Documentary three years ago, something mm-hmm. like that. And um, he has a new movie that's TIFF, another documentary, um, and that's exciting. Yeah. And, you know, the TIFF lineup, it's, it's not like the usual TIFF lineup. You know, and it was never going to be like that. But there are still like glimpses of hope. Like you see that Regina King directed a movie with Aldous Hodge and Leslie Odom Jr. called One Night in Miami and that it was in TIFF. And then the next day, Amazon announced that they bought it. So these are the things that usually happen around this time. Yeah. So usually you hear like five movies been bought or whatever. Are going yeah. to TIFF. But we heard about one, which is still better than nothing. It's, yeah. it's still... You like Amazon? This is definitely a movie they're gonna try to get awards for if there are awards this year. Yeah, and uh, also we've seen the first still from Nomadland, um, which I'm excited about because that uh, it just looks like a cool movie. And Frances McDormand uh, seems like it would be a great part for her. Um, yes, and so this is the the movie that Fox Searchlight have decided they're going to release this year somewhere, right? Yeah. That's an indication it's going to Venice, it's going to um it was announced that it was going to be a Telluride even though Telluride is not happening and it's going to New York. Yeah. And so they moved the French Dispatch off the calendar. So that's the one where they're still like vacillating about, right? Yeah. But there is one they made the decision, okay, this is coming out. Movies will be at movies. If not, it will be at some streaming service. So we have at least two Best Actress contenders. <laughs> <laughs> at least two. We'll see if we can get to five. <laughs> I mean, and you know, you know Netflix is going to release their movies, right? Like, they have the David Fincher Mank. They have Viola oh, Davis yeah. doing Marini's Black Bottom, Bottom. So those will come out, I'm assuming. Yeah. And people are, Hollywood is going back to work. Um, there's a lot of actors sharing Instagram videos of themselves back on sets getting weekly COVID tests. So people are actually starting to work again in Hollywood. So, so that will be, um, you know, that means like filming has resumed means we we're still going to have a lag in content. Like once the world gets back to normal, whenever that happens, there's still going to be a weird, it's going to be a weird for at least a year. It's going to be weird in terms of what comes out. Yeah. Um, like 2021 might be overburdened and we might have an empty 2022. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, there is going to be a lag, right? There is going to be a year that doesn't have as many movies because there's a lot of movies that were in production and stopped production. And there's a lot of movies that, you know, we're going to start and, and they haven't. And I'm sure a lot of ones that will be canceled altogether that we're yeah. going to start just like a lot of, like I noticed a lot of TV series that we're going to start just didn't happen. Like they were, they had gotten all the actors under contract again to revive a 30 something. And the, I was just reading about this online the other day. And so all the main cast from that eighties, that very popular eighties TV show were returning as like the grandparents. Oh, so okay. The, the children, they had cast like, their children from the original series with stars who are in their thirties now. Um, and so they were going to be playing the main characters this time. So the original cast was going to be supporting characters like grandparents and stuff. And, uh, so they would, they had the whole thing cast and ready to start shooting. And now they've just canceled it. They're not moving forward. So I'm sure there's going to be more stuff like that too, because studios are going to have to make decisions. I mean, there was a lot of art articles about this, right when the shutdown first happened, that there was going to be such a backlog for production because mm. everything is timed for sound stages and stuff. So everybody's going to want to go to back to work at the same time, and there's going to be way too much because everything had to stop and get off schedule. Oh, wow. So, Nathaniel, I'm sure the readers want to know, are you doing your April Fool's predictions this year? And, you know, it's not April, but, you know, this is a special year, and it's the Oscars if, they happen are still eight months away. So well, I did I did start them. I was all finished except for the uh acting, but so much changed every month. Like Yeah. Like we don't know anything. Moving, like usually you can even though it's still like a complete crapshoot that far in advance, 
you can mm-hmm. still like sort of guess like this just went into production two months ago that's going to be ready or or this you know it's been announced it'll never be ready in time you know but yeah. now like who knows and all these things that are complete that they keep moving dates on or chain or dropping them from the calendar altogether like french dispatch so it's just like it's so every time i've sat down to work on it it's just been like i don't have any sense of what's going to happen. It's, it's volatile. You really can't. You can't guess. I mean, usually you're going blind, but this year you just have not... You, this this you're, year you're going blind and they've spun you around a hundred times, so you're dizzy <laughs> even while you're blindfolded. Yeah. So I will do them, though. It's, it's one of my projects uh, for August. Um, and like, you know, we just talked in the last ten minutes or so, there are a few indications there are some movies that have planted that like we're coming out this year. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then others that still haven't, I mean, who knows? And also coming out this year, does that actually mean this year? Or does that mean January and February of next year? Well, it, it means January and February. Yeah. I mean, it has to, right. And then also, what does that mean for the film bitch awards, which are more important to me? <laughs> Do I stick to my guns and have it be only uh, the calendar year? Um, I mean, personally, um, I'm going to go by the awards year because for my own, like, best of whatever, because the cinemas have been closed. Nothing has yeah. opened. So it, this, these are uncertain times. And, you know, things, what we lived through this year, we haven't lived through in our lifetime. So, you know, I'll just go with the awards calendar because that's what seems that everybody's doing. Like the Gotham's just postponed their awards that was the last announcement and the guilds have postponed and i am sure um we belong to a couple of critics groups i'm sure the critics choice will also delay and i don't know if they've delayed yet i don't know about galeka which is the group that i belong to but i'm assuming they will yeah i oh i'm sure they will because they were already late in the calendar anyways yeah uh the society for well we have a new title but they're still going by Galica. It's very confusing. It's a society for lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans entertainment journalists or something, but it's yeah. somehow, somehow Galica. They used yeah. to be gay and lesbian. That was the, and it's the old acronym, but it's still saying as the name. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but it's, I, that, that group has grown a lot though. Yeah. Over the years. Um, and it's got some big names as part of it now too. Including us. <laughs> we're the biggest. No, we're not. <laughs> Including actually several members of uh, the film experience are members, though. Yeah. Okay. Um, I went into the website the other day for, I don't know what I was looking and I found my picture and they got like the worst picture I put on Instagram. I think they just <laughs> took it they out of Instagram. You, they didn't ask you which photo. They just <laughs> They did not ask me. And it was like a photo that I did at the beginning of the quarantine when they delayed the woman in the window. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And I was like, I'm Amy Adams. The only place I go to is the window now. And it was just like a fun thing. And I'm imitating that Amy Adams look. So, and now it's on the Galeka website. But anyway. <laughs> Which was a thousand years ago, the beginning of this quarantine. A yeah, thousand and, years ago. Yeah, totally. It's been totally. the longest summer of my life. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I feel, like I said earlier, it's been five months or however long it was, but it feels like it's been 17 years. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to this uh, random uh, Emmy and what will become of the movies podcast. Uh, we will return you to the SmackDown programming shortly uh, with 2005 and 1938, but we might, uh, we might squeeze in another one of these and take reader or listener questions, but we'll let you know on the blog if we do. Yeah, let us know what you would you like us to talk about. Thank you so much for listening.